the chief on wetlands, great place to watch migratory birds. Mm. A lot of birds down south, you know. Mm. Um, you know Taiwan's the best place for um, paragliding? Saija Park, Air Park. I could have swore that was is in down there. Yeah, yeah, I could have, I could have swore it was no, in Luya. No, that's the best. That's where they hold the national competition. Oh. Also, the National Museum of Marine Biology and Aquarium is oh. down there, mm. and Wanjing Catholic Church, where all the Christmas lights. It's from the Qing Dynasty, very historical church. And it was a lot of beautiful things to see in Pingdong. I think I got everything there. this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? Each year in the early spring, most Taiwanese people head to the graveyards. The occasion isn't somber or morbid. It's really about remembering those who've passed on and celebrating family ties. It's a lot like similar holidays around the world, such as Mexico's Day of the Dead. This is the Tomb Sweeping Festival, a chance for a long weekend and a family gathering. But like many traditions, the Tomb Sweeping Festival in Taiwan is not static, and recent years have brought some big changes in the way people actually observe it. One recent tomb sweeper, Sam, is here with us this week to tell us about the holiday and the growing gap between tradition and how people really observe the holiday today. Sam says that tomb sweeping is a time of year when people visit the graves of ancestors and tidy their grave sites up. The stones that mark the site are scrubbed clean with water. The grass on the plot is cut short, weeds are pulled up, and in some cases, whole trees that have taken root are cut down and hauled away. Since graveyards in Taiwan tend to be on remote mountainsides, people usually need to bring their own water in bottles for the washing up, and they also bring supplies like hedge clippers. Sam's even seen chainsaws taken up to get rid of overgrowth. Some families travel to multiple grave sites, remembering multiple ancestors. But unless you're a big family, there's really only so many grave sites you can tend to. So in practice, most people only visit the graves of the most recent generations. The extended fam of Sam's mother will go up to his great-grandfather's level. But Sam's own nuclear family only visits the grandparents, and only those on his father's side as well. This tradition is, after all, the product of a patriarchal society. The cleaning of the tomb takes place first. Once the cleaning is finished, there comes another important step. The local god of the earth needs to be addressed and given offerings, at the very least some food and three cups of tea. Sam says that each area has its own local earth god. They act sort of like mayors or local neighborhood chiefs on the other side. Before you can present offerings to the ancestors, the local earth god in charge of the turf needs to be addressed, with a brief explanation of what the families come to do. 
Finally, the ancestors are addressed, and assorted foods and snacks are placed in front of their tomb for them to spiritually consume. 传统一定是三生素果之类的，但是现在的人变成是必要的，还是会有一些水煮蛋啊，因为我们最后要剥蛋壳。Traditionally, tomb sweeping was a big affair, with at least three cooked meats and a range of other dishes ceremonially offered to the deceased. These days, though, things have gotten much simpler for most people. People these days live busy lives and don't necessarily have the time to prepare all that food. And then there's the fact that once the ancestors have had their fill, the living actually are the ones who do the eating. And if you have a small family, like most people in Taiwan do these days, all that is way too much to finish, and it will end up going to waste. So for many families, Sam's included, the offerings have gotten a lot simpler. A lot of them are simply bought at one of Taiwan's ubiquitous convenience stores. Things like simple fruit and prepackaged snacks. Some other families may still do cooking, but they'll skip the traditionally prescribed three types of meat and just make the deceased's favorite dishes from when they were alive instead. The only thing that pretty much everyone brings is hard-boiled eggs, which luckily every convenience store in Taiwan sells. There's a bit of confusion about why this is, but no matter who you are, you leave eggshells on top of the gravesite. Sam doesn't know the origin of this custom or what it means, and I've seen confused articles linking it to rebirth and lots of other things. It seems to be just another one of those folkloric customs. Another non-food item that everyone brings to their gravesites is sheets of colored paper. Sam says these are placed on the gravesite and weighed down with heavy stones to show any passersby that this grave has been recently tended to. Often these strips of paper are quite pretty, coming in multiple colors. Traditionally, when tomb sweeping, it was important to burn ghost money. These are rough sheets of colored paper, often embellished on top with bits of shiny metal foil. They're burned in big piles. The idea being that once they turn into smoke, they're transformed into a sort of underworld legal tender that the ancestors can use to buy things. Sam's family doesn't like this tradition very much, and in any case, they're not allowed to take part in it. Sam's grandfather was a military man whose remains are buried in a military cemetery where such fires are not allowed. It's just as well, Sam says. There are hundreds of graveside fires each year in Taiwan that threaten to become full-fledged wildfires, all because someone couldn't be bothered to watch the burning incense and paper carefully. Another change that's come in recent years has to do with the timing of tomb sweeping. The tomb sweeping festival is on the calendar on a specific date, but a lot of people just do their tomb sweeping whenever their schedules allow. The tomb sweeping festival always comes with a long weekend, and lots of people would rather go somewhere for vacation instead. Plus, there's the fact that the highways are clogged over the weekend, and the winding narrow paths to graveyards are filled with traffic. People just want to beat the crowds. Sam's family has a good excuse for going early. Their paternal ancestors, the ones whose tombs they clean, have a Hakka background. They came from China's Guangdong province during the Chinese Civil War and brought with them an interesting custom. 
Sam says he's not sure if this holds true for all Hakka people, but at least for his grandparents' families, the custom is that you can do that year's tomb sweeping any time you want, as long as the Lantern Festival has passed. That's always a solid two or so months before the tomb sweeping festival, giving Sam's family a kind of flexibility most families don't have. So usually, Sam and his family have the place to themselves. They can avoid major traffic jams, sure in the knowledge that their ancestors would understand, including his grandmother, who just passed away last year. It's not just the timing that's changing, either. Alternative ways of marking the holiday are gaining some ground. For instance, Taiwan's Christian minority is not allowed to take part in such acts of ancestral worship. But they may sometimes still gather on the day of the Tomb Sweeping Festival to chat and reminisce about departed family members. Then there is the growing trend of non-traditional burials and the idea of virtual tomb sweeping. Those too busy to travel to a gravesite, or more recently too afraid of getting COVID, can log on to the websites of participating local governments. There, they can see short videos shot in the municipal graveyards where their ancestors' remains lay. Their offerings can be laid out in front of their computer screen, and the ceremonies done from afar. For those who've chosen to have their ashes scattered at sea, for instance, there is no physical gravesite. And so, for people whose ancestors have chosen to be buried in unconventional ways, paying respects from afar is about all they can do. All this shows that even the most deep-rooted of Taiwanese customs change and adapt to the times. Sam says there are some traditionalists who may not like all these changes, but as he sees it, it's all the same. He says that really, tomb sweeping is more about the living than the dead. It's about getting scattered descendants, who don't normally get to see each other, to gather together and recall their shared roots. They chat, catch up with one another, and reinforce their family ties. As long as that's what happens, Sam says, it's all good. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. After more than three weeks, the students who were occupying Taiwan's legislature in protest have finally left. But before they did, I made a trip inside of the building and was amazed by what I saw. Art, creativity, organization, trust, and young people bravely working together and speaking their mind. Sure, there have been differences of opinion, but the Sunflower Movement is destined for the history books. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Year to the Ground, I offer you the voices of the students as they near the end of the occupation. An ear to the ground. It's shortly after 6 p.m. on Thursday, April 10th, 2014. 
Several hundred students are finally leaving Taiwan's legislature holding sunflowers. And as we watch, I think back to the individual students who I met inside and what was going on in their minds as they prepared to face the world again. Actually, I'll be sad to go. When you don't know when you're leaving, it's hard to stay. You don't know when the police will barge in. You don't know when you'll be dragged out. You don't know how long you'll have to sleep here. Once you have a deadline, you know when the legislature will return to its original state. And once the legislators come back, it will become history. When we leave, we'll definitely cry. Not yet. But when we leave, I'm sure we will. But you have to wait till Thursday. And here, we take things one day at a time. I'll be sad, that's for sure. We've been here for more than 20 days. We even sleep in the same place every night. Even though it's hard to sleep, when you're tired, you sleep anyway. There's probably saliva all over the floor. Hopefully the legislators won't complain. People talk about how the students are so orderly, but the legislators are always holding boycotts. I hope when the lawmakers return, they can be orderly like us. Every day we watch the poster in front of the founding father Sun Yat-sen's portrait, which says how many hours we've been in here. We'll never see that again. I miss watching the time slowly add up. I wish it could pass 600 hours. We'll never be able to come back and stay here in the legislative chamber. It's a rare opportunity. It's impossible that such a large number of activists or even normal people will be able to live and work here and interact 24 hours a day with their lives intertwined so closely. It's really been a valuable experience. On the one hand, I'm like, we're finally going to leave. How could a government allow people to occupy the legislature for more than 500 hours without solving the problem or responding to us? When we first came in here, I thought we'd have to hold out for two or three days. Who knew we'd be here for 20-something days? I was born in a country where martial law had been lifted. Taiwan was a free society, but now it's come to this. We have to protect the values of the younger people, because it's one of the most precious things in our country. After holding out the first night, at about 7 a.m., someone delivered a big box of sunflowers. I was crying and so were many of the other people. It was such a sign of encouragement to let us know that we were not alone. It gave us the energy to stay in here, because that first night was so exhausting. We had guarded the doors the entire night. After staying inside for three days in a row, I went out and saw all of the people outside, and everyone was sitting silently and reading books, and I was so moved. Because when we went in, there was nobody outside. But when I came out, I realized that everyone was there, protecting us. I was so touched. Everyone was watching over us, and I was incredibly moved.
With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. Pull yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast, and this is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan. And here again, Reese Ayers. Hello, how are wow, you? Wow, he's stuck with us, huh? I know, he just can't leave us. Like a sticky booger. He, oh. <laughs> uh, he well, doesn't know how to quit us? Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, his analogy was pretty good. Sticky booger. Mm-hmm. Uh, except we're not going to be talking about mochi for another couple of weeks. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe stick around. Stick around, I like that. Yeah. I'm here to stay. So okay. today we are talking about uh, salmon. This big thing about salmon, (laughs) you know, well, I don't know what to say. People are just like infatuated with salmon in Taiwan. Yes. We should probably start from the beginning Mm -hmm. with a little look at what happened, why people are infatuated with salmon, why people are changing their names to salmon. It's all this restaurant, the sushi restaurant's fault. It's the chain called Akindo Sushiro. Yes. Yeah. It's a Taiwanese chain, I think. Really? Have you been there before? No. No, I know. Me, that there, me there, neither. There's one in Shimon that I go past occasionally. Is it good? I, I've never been inside. Okay. I think it's like a sushi train kind of deal. Oh, yes. it yeah. has a sushi train? Oh, I think yeah. I've been there. Yeah. It's okay. like, yeah, the, so the sushi comes out on a little conveyor belt, mm-hmm. and then you can uh, remove the sushi from the belt and yep. put it in front of you and Ooh. eat it, and then they charge you based on what you've Based taken. on the color plates, I okay. think, that you yeah. use. Well, um, you know, they hope that they were going to do some marketing, you know, stunts, you know, try to bring up their sales. Well, I think it worked. It did work. Um, yeah. So basically, if you had salmon in your name, they gave you free uh, salmon. Yeah. So you have to have salmon. All the words, the character, like gui yu, gui both yu. of it. I think the crazy, or just gui or yu. No, you have to have gui yu, but I think it could be other characters that sound like it too. Oh. I think if it, if it was actually gui yu, then you got like a completely free. If it was sound, uh, characters that sounded like gui yu, you mm-hmm. got like a discount. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were different levels of discount for having this in your so name. So how long is this campaign going to be running? Because well, I think it's over. It's finished. Yeah, it's yeah. finished it was, already. It was yes. just a few days. So why did these people go and? changed their name well that was the thing i think somebody probably changed their name after the campaign was already over oh my i mean before it get legalized and the campaign is over already but they're stuck with the name salmon people might have heard about this because it it kind of made international news didn't it this story you know they could play the Mm. trick if they tell them that you know i don't have a chinese name my english name Mm -hmm. is like salmon I don't think that counts. Salomon. I think, this, I think it was only, you <laughs> yeah, had to be your official name on your ID. Right. Oh. It does have, yeah, you have to prove it. And that's why people were going to change their names legally. Would you guys change your name for Absolutely that? Absolutely not. No. No way. No way. No, no. way. I'm not, not going to stuck with Guiyu. One free meal. Chu Guiyu. Ran Guiyu. And then my husband's name will be Hao Guiyu. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good name. Actually, that's a good let's, name, let's huh? change it to that. Because her, her husband's last name sounds like good. So okay. it's like yeah. good salmon. It's good salmon. salmon. 
Salmon. Hey, they might give me double free. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, so part of the problem was that people were changing their names legally so that they could get free sushi. And in right. Taiwan, apparently, changing your name takes about 20 minutes to do and like $100 or something. 100 NT. Um, right. Or 100 and US. It's 100 not NT. a difficult process so as like, opposed to other countries. Yeah. That's know? three US dollars right. to change your name. Whereas I think in the UK, it would take months and months to change your name. But yeah. you only get three chances or two chances? Three chances. Three chances. Okay. And there was one guy, I think this is this is good karma here. Okay. Uh, there was one guy who changed his name to to Salmon Dream to take advantage of the free salmon, <laughs> mm-hmm. salmon sushi. But without realizing that when he was a child, his parents had actually already changed <laughs> oh, no. his name twice. So this was his third name change. So now he's stuck with the name Salmon Dream. <laughs> I just, seriously, like, what? I mean, it, it serves you right. You shouldn't change your name for silly reasons Over like 300 people did it. 300, 300 people changed their names. That's so silly. Yeah. And one guy had a name that was like over a d- two dozen characters long mm-hmm. and they had to write it in by hand because oh, it didn't dear. fit on the little place on your ID card for it. Oh my. Is sushi that good? Uh, is salmon that good? Salmon's pretty good. Salmon is pretty good, uh, but not good enough for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did a little uh, search here. Akindo Sushiro, the, the place is actually a Japanese chain. Oh, it's mm-hmm. Japanese. Yeah, okay. but I believe that this was a campaign that was only done in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently it worked. It got them a lot of uh, publicity. Apparently they're considering doing it again in the future with things like people who have eel in their name or tuna in their name. You know, it's just like 31 ice cream, right? Baskin Robbins. They've been mm-hmm. doing this campaign promotion. It's like on your ID, if you have a three or a one, mm-hmm. both of the number, if you can't find it on your ID, it could be in the birthday, it could be on the ID number, then you get free ice cream. I think that makes that's sense. Pretty, that's pretty easy, right? Is that that's, not everybody? Well, I definitely have oh, it, but I my don't. friend didn't have it. Uh, I don't have that. I no. do, like March 19. Oh, oh good great. for you. Yeah. Lucky you. So yeah. we're gonna, you're going to have to share your ice cream with us. I know. So if we go to Baskin Robin, hey, we get free ice cream. Oh, goodness. Uh, but do you get salmon ice cream? That's the question. No. <laughs> gross. <laughs> I wouldn't want gross. salmon ice cream. <laughs> I'm going to look it up, and I'm going to tell you a little bit later on in our show whether that exists or not. I'm sure it does. Uh, for now, shall we look at our menu? Sure. For our first course, Reese has prepared another round of trivia. Ooh, this time all about everybody's favorite fish, salmon. Ooh. That's right. In our second course, uh, we're going to tell you why one of the rarest fish in the world, a Taiwanese salmon, is featured on the 2000 Taiwan dollar bill. And our third course, we'll be eating a salmon dish that will help you use up your leftover rice. Wow. Yes. I think I know. Do you know why uh, why there was leftover rice? What that's in relationship to? That is because when people took advantage of all that free salmon, uh-huh. they ordered dishes that had rice in them and they just ate the salmon and left the rice and it caused a huge amount of waste. Yeah, there were photos all wow. over social media of just piles and piles of rice. Just taking, they're just taking the fish off it and leaving the rice. Well, mm. that's not very nice. No. But, you know, no. I think... I think in some of the sushi places, they do have rules that you cannot waste your rice. You have mm, to eat it. It's like good. if they find like, you know, more than like three portions of the rice, mm. they would charge you for it. Good. That's good. Mm-hmm. They yeah, I should. Like that. I like that. I think that's particularly true for those uh, all-you-can-eat places mm. or buffets. It must so be Mr. Guayu. <laughs> <laughs> right. We saw him. We saw you guys do that, huh? <laughs> We're going to kick off today's show with a song called The Salmon Dance by the Chemical Brothers. Ooh. Wow. Have a listen to this and we'll be back in just a moment with our first course. Hello, boys and girls. My name is Fatlip. 
And this is my friend, Sammy the Salmon. What it do? Today, we're going to teach you some fun facts about salmon and a brand new dance. Let me introduce to you a brand new dance. I know you're gonna love it if you give it one chance. It's not complicated, it's not too hard. You don't even have to be a hip hop star. See, anyone can do it, all you need is staff. Listen up, peep gang, I'ma show you how. Put your hands to the side, as silly as it seems. And shake your body like a salmon floating upstream. First course. Okay, guys, are you ready for some fishy, fishy facts? Just toss your salmon over. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen, my goodness. Wow, she's getting fierce with her Slap salmon. Slap it to my face. Slap your face with the yeah. salmon. I have some interesting salmon facts here uh, in the form of questions, which you guys are hopefully going to answer. We're not keeping score, just for fun, just for fun. No, we're keeping score. All right, we're keeping score. If I do well, then we're keeping score. <laughs> okay. If I don't do well, then we're doing it for fun. We're very competitive here yes. in the RTI radio station. Yes. All right. All right. Let's Start with a bit of etymology. Mm-hmm. Okay, like etymology. So about the word salmon and where it comes from. So the word salmon comes from the Latin salmo, which in turn might have originated from salire. What does it mean? It sounds like saliva. <laughs> salire. 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 It lies in the sea. No, good guess though. Yeah. A salire. Uh I, I'm the the thing I know about salmon is it swims upstream. Does it have mm, something to do with that? It does indeed. River. Oh. It does. Not river. It's something that they do. They're quite oh, famous for doing this. Laying eggs. They spawn eggs. They spawn they, eggs. Not that. No. Something about the way that they get up the river. They oh. jump. Yes. Leap. It, leap. It's, oh. Apparently, it means leap. Oh, liar. Liar. Oh my god! Look at our Latin. We're okay. lying in the studio. <laughs> leap. Leap. All right. Good job. All right, next one. Let's do this. Why do salmon have that distinctive pink color to their flesh? Oh, this is hard. Oh. oh. Wait, I wonder if it's related to, you know, flamingos are pink too, and it's because they eat something. Follow that train of thought. Yes. Whoa. We like this. What do they eat? What do they eat? They eat the microorganism. Yeah, they Algae, do. Mm-hmm. like in the river. Yeah, and uh, krill. Krill the is red. the main thing that, that gives them the that krill. Oh. Krill. Krill, yeah. Yay. Krill are like tiny, tiny shrimp, right? Shrimps, right. Yeah. May I say dream work? Teamwork is dream work? Yeah. We are. Who's keeping score in this team? work here. Oh. Ellen is. <laughs> I'm keeping it in my little finger here. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Let's do this one. Uh, Gravlax. G-R-A-V-L-A-X. It's a dish. It's salmon cured with salt, sugar, and dill. I love dill. Mm-hmm. Usually served as an appetizer where in the world? 
Gravlax. Mm. I know they have locks in uh, like a lot of Jewish communities. Like good mm. Jewish delis have locks on bagels. I don't know what a lock is. Lock, L-O-X. Lox. Right. It's, I think it's connected to that because it is also cured. Okay. Um, so, I would say... Northern Europe? Nope. It's like Nor- Norwegian. Wow, you guys yeah. are so good today. Yeah, Nor- like Nordic countries. Nordic countries, so, yeah. yeah. Norway, Sweden, Denmark. Yeah. Oh. You guys are killing it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Better We're killing the, it than each other. <laughs> encyclopedia of well, salmon. <laughs> she's Encyclopedia Chew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, next one. So Norway produces 55.3% of the world's mm-hmm. salmon. Which country is the next largest producer of Alaska. salmon? Like Alaska. Like US, no? No. Uh, salmon. Norway. It's a country with a very long coastline. Oh, Chile? Yes, Chile. Oh. Chile's the second biggest. That's so weird. I thought salmon was like, it was a river. It must be an ocean thing, too. Yeah, salmon. It goes into the opening of the ocean. They're they're born in the rivers. They go and live in the ocean. They come back to the river to to spawn. Oh. Oh. Yeah. There's a special word for that, which I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. uh, Oh, it's called anadromous. They're anadromous, which means they do that. Oh. They do that. They do freshwater to ocean, back to freshwater. Oh. Oh. So, So do you consider them freshwater or ocean? Good question. Ooh, that is a question for... There are... What is that word again? Anadromous. 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 Yes. <laughs> All right, so talking about um, people called salmon, mm-hmm. Susie Salmon is the name of the main character from which 2002 young adult novel? Wait, 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 wait. Oh. 2000 and... 2002. Two. It's not SpongeBob SquarePants, the, the book. <laughs> young no. adult. Uh, young, young adult. Uh, Susie Salmon. I'll give you a clue. There was a 2009 film adaptation with Mark Wahlberg, Susan Sarandon, and Stanley Tucci. Oh. Oh, so that's... The what game? Is this Hunger Games? Games? Nope. This is not ringing any bells. It's a very good movie. It's about... Uh, Stanley Tucci plays the villain. He's a murderer. Oh, wait. You know the movie? This isn't... Uh, 2002. Su- 101 Dalmatians? No, no. No. The answer is The Lovely Bones. Oh. You heard of that one? That's ri- uh, based no. on a book. Yes. By uh, Seabold. That sounds wow. like it might be right. Lovely Bones. <laughs> the Lovely okay. Bones. The Lovely Bones. It's a great story. It's very. It's quite hard-hitting, but it is for young adults, so okay. it's not, not too bad. Yes. Um, I want to see that. And Mark then Wahlberg. another question for you guys. The Salmon of Knowledge. This is my favorite thing. <laughs> this is my new favorite thing. Uh-huh. The Salmon of Knowledge is a creature featuring in which culture's mythology? Oh, I think it must be an indigenous e- people from Alaska. Eskimo. No, no. Oh, we went to the same place. place. Yeah. You had the same vote. It's believed that eating this salmon will grant you all of the knowledge in the world. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm going to say Norway. No, no. The Vikings? No, it's actually Irish mythology. Gaelic and Irish. Irish. Gaelic. I didn't know that. Irish. I should know this. You should know that. Being Irish. Apparently a prominent feature of Irish mythology. The salmon of knowledge. I love that. Well, you know, in Chinese, people do, like parents do tell you, oh, eat salmon, you'll get smart. Yes. Really? I wonder if that's the fish oil. The omega. The omega-3. Right. Yeah. Makes you smart. Right. Yeah. So we should probably all eat more salmon and see if we can maybe eat the salmon of knowledge. Right. And we'll be more knowledgeable. <laughs> so Mr. Guayu there. Yes. You know, they need to eat tons and tons because... That's right. You know, changing their name, I don't think it's knowledgeable. 
<laughs> there you go. Brain there food. You go. Maybe uh, Reese ate it before he made the quiz. I He's did. so smart. A daily dose of salmon keeps Ooh. the brain... Uh, get, something rhymes with salmon. <laughs> yeah, what rhymes with something? Nothing. Right. Nothing. Salmon... <laughs> We'll workshop that. Yeah. Yeah. By the okay. way, Lovely Bones is written by Alice Siebold. I was Alice Siebold. You were very yeah. close. Yeah. yeah. It's a great book. Great movie as well. Did you um, read the book? I did not. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. I'll okay. read it uh, during the next song. And All right. Too bad. I'll do a little book report. And tell us your book report. <laughs> okay. So this next song is what? Xinhua Gowen Gui. Yes. Oh. This is the Formosan name. landlocked salmon. Yeah, Formosan landlocked salmon is the uh, indigenous salmon from here in Taiwan, the only kind of salmon here in Taiwan. When we come back in our second course, we're going to tell you why it's featured on the 2000 Taiwan dollar bill. Okay. Listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. Hmm. Okay, so. so we're going to be <laughs> looking at a $2,000 bill where there is a salmon on it. Are you sure it's a salmon? It's not one of those li you know, like Chinese people like to have li because it's like prosperity and also long living life. I why don't I show you a little picture of it and you can describe it to uh, I don't even everyone. remember this fish on the I've, 2000 I've never seen a 2000 really? dollar note no I've seen the 200 Oh okay um if you show me one of those, I wouldn't know it's a salmon. It does look like a, it looks like a cherry salmon, huh? Yeah. Um, okay. A cherry salmon? That, these are cherry blossom salmons, yeah. Oh, they are? Yeah, Inghua. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to describe it for people first? Just tell the color. And... The color is like pink and purplish, okay? Mm. And on one side, there's like these huge satellite dish, okay? And it has specimen on it. A word specimen. And then on the other side... <laughs> no, that's just to tell you it's not a real bill. <laughs> it's, a spe- it's a specimen note, like oh, an example okay. note. Okay. And then... In the bottom, there's like mountain range, and I guess there's river in between, and then there's like two salmon laying in the front. Yeah, so these salmon are from the mountains. Mm. They're from the Dajashi. Uh, Dajashi. And so this actually, uh, this is a rare bill. We don't really see the 2000 very often. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've never seen one. Or the two th- 200. 200 I've seen a few times. But 200 is like the green one, right? It's green, yeah. Right. Yeah. I had a uh, student's a parent, you know, who likes to pay in 2000. Really? Really? Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. It sounds lucky. 
I, don't, I have no idea. Special. They like to pay in 2000. I'd be tempted to keep it if I, if I found one because mm-hmm. really? I've never seen one. Yeah. Okay. That, just for uh, to give you an idea, that's about 60 US dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So if we had a $60 bill. That's the biggest note, I think, mm. in Taiwan, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So this is actually a national treasure. They call it Guo Bao Yu. So uh, it's a uh, protected fish, one of the rarest fish in the world. Uh, and you looked into this a little bit, Reese. You want to tell us what you found? Sure. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's critically endangered. It, there's only maybe, according to a, a study in in 2000, there are 350 or less individual fish left in the wild. Wow. Actually, sorry. I, I just wanted to tell you. I found. Um, that they have actually been working on um, protecting it, and they were able to bring that number up to about 5,000 by 2018. Oh, that's great. There's a, a great uh, National Geographic documentary about it, and we'll have a little link for you uh, in the show notes. Uh, it's in Chinese, but I think you can uh, at least see some pictures of mm. the, the salmon swimming around and whatnot. Wow. It's a, it's a great example of how we're actually able to reintroduce some species uh, mm. and, and make them thrive. And the reason why they were endangered, uh, one of the things is because uh, the indigenous people here were um, fishing for them. Because that was their main staple, right? Mm. Uh, I don't think it was the main staple, but it was definitely a staple. I think the main staple was probably millet or, or, or something like that. But in terms of fish, this was definitely a very popular fish. Um, but also pollution, of course, mm-hmm. um, and man-made, uh, I guess, barriers on rivers. Mm-hmm. So when a lot of the barriers crumbled... And the water, um, I guess the river was flowing again. These uh, salmon were able to go and lay their eggs and whatnot. Ooh. Is it called laying eggs? Spawn? Spawning. Spawning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love this this fact about the salmon is, is kind of how it came to be. So they've been around apparently since the Ice Age. Wow. Mm. That's like 780 thousand years ago 780,000 years just off the top of your head yeah um, nicely done Ellen computer um, <laughs> but yeah apparently there was a meteor impact around about that time that Ooh. led to this kind of offshoot of, of salmon being separated from kind of their main group mm-hmm. and I guess slowly evolving over time into a, a completely different species mm. uh, within Taiwan so their ancestor would be coming from Japan yes from around Ooh. Japan Ooh. Apparently, you know how they discovered this. I was reading up on it. Uh, There were some police officers, Japanese police officers in the high mountains of Taiwan, and they saw traces of the salmon in their water pipes. And so then they uh, contacted the local indigenous people, had them show them the source of these salmon. Mm -hmm. And then they got fish experts from Japan. And apparently a former president of Stanford University came over, looked at the fish and gave it the, the name that we have today. Uh, and it is called the Formosan Landlocked Salmon. Mm. Originally, they named it after the, the village where they found it, but they thought that uh, foreigners would probably know Formosa better. And that was back in like 1919, I think it was. I think it's wow. one, of the, one of, if not the only salmon that is landlocked, I think. It's one of the only ones that doesn't actually make it to the ocean. Yeah, super rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also one of the southernmost mm-hmm. salmons in the world and mm-hmm. highest altitude. Yeah. Uh, you'll find them at an altitude of about 1,700 meters above sea level. Wow. So super special, guys. Super special. They are the salmon that lives up in the sky. That's right. <laughs> it must be so hard to like manage fish that are endangered, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because like managing something like a rhino or a giraffe would mm-hmm. be, I guess, easier because they're easier to measure and follow mm-hmm. and track. But fish are so small and fast and kind of flitty, you know? If you watch the little video, we're going to have the link for you. You see people scuba diving mm. and then calling out the numbers that they counted. Wow. It's like really? Three. How do you count fish? Five. 
five. <laughs> How do you count it? Stop moving, everybody. Hold on. Okay, just stop. <laughs> that one is Jerry. It's like an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants right there. I know. <laughs> totally. Okay, we're going to go into a song again. Mm-hmm. And this time, this song, wow, it's called Yumu Zhu Fish Eyes. It's a Hakka song. Yeah, this is the lyrics are really weird. It's like uh, the singer dreamed of seeing uh, uh, like 10,000 fish eyes staring at her Ooh. through the haze of the water. Ooh. If a dream reader would say, <laughs> you are being noticed <laughs> by everyone. I like that. <laughs> we should send her a letter and let her know. I know. <laughs> Just in You're going to be the center of the stage. <laughs> That's right. It is by an artist called okay. Misha. When we come back in just a moment, we're going to be eating some salmon. And we have uh, brought in a dish that incorporates the rice right into the dish so that you're not wasting all that rice that people are wasting. You cannot just pick out the salmon. That's right. right. You have to eat it all. Ecological episode today. Great. to eat salmon fried rice. Mm, Salmon fried rice. What is in this rice? Shall we have a little look? Mm -hmm. We have salmon, Uh we have rice, an egg, and some chopped cabbage. Yeah. Onion as well, onion. Mm -hmm. And some kimchi. Kimchi. Mm. And I believe there was also something brown and crispy on the top. Spoiler alert, I did not make this myself. Oh. I think we should also clarify that this is not the Formosan landlocked salmon that we're eating. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for reminding us of that, Reese. I wanted to make a point of that and I totally forgot. <laughs> this is this is just regular salmon that's not critically endangered. Mm. This might be one of my favorite all-time kind of fast go-to quick meals. Mm. Like you can get this for like, I don't know, 100 NT, a big portion of salmon fried rice. And it's, oh, it's just so good. This is something that mommies will make, you know, in the old, old, old times, okay? Mm-hmm. When they have bian dang. Mm-hmm. Like bento like, lunch yeah. boxes. Yeah. So they just chop up the salmon. It's like, you know, people were not that wealthy. You cannot have like big chunks of salmon. Mm. So for health reason, I mean, for kids to have some of the fish, omega-3, right? And get, you know, fulfilled during lunchtime, Mm. right? You know, this reminds me of a little bit. In the UK, we have something called bubble and squeak. Have you heard of this? Yeah. What it, What is, is it uh, potatoes? Bubble and squeak, yeah. It's it's basically kind of a, the leftovers from like a Sunday roast dinner. So you're probably going to have some roast potatoes, mm. maybe some cabbage, broccoli, some some boiled veg, and maybe even some of the meat as well. Mm. So bubble and squeak is kind of where you just chop it all up and just fry it in a pan. Wow. Uh, and it kind of gives it this fried rice kind of mm. texture and taste. 
I think uh, every culture has has some sort of mm. clever clean up, dish. Clean up the refrigerator dish. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like some kind of stew or mm. Mm. fried rice is definitely what we do here in Taiwan. I love the skin. Crispy skin on salmon is yeah. just delicious. Mm. I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of seafood. Mm. I like fish. I like shrimp. Not a fan of shellfish. But of all the fish, salmon is, has got to take the biscuit for mm. just being the most flavorsome. And also, I think the most, most versatile, right? Mm. You can eat it in so many different ways. It's easy to make. You know, all you do is like kind of like salt it. You can actually just pan fry it. And squeeze a little lemon over it. Lemon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, salmon is great raw as sashimi mm-hmm. or nigiri. Get those healthy oils, mm. those omega-3s. Mm. Yeah, I do like yummy. it with dill. I mentioned in the quiz earlier, there was that Norwegian dish with mm. the, the salmon with dill. Mm. Is dill... I've never seen dill in Taiwan. It's not really used in East Asian cuisine very much, huh? Not too common, no. No. So there you have it. That is a whole show about salmon. And uh, hopefully we've given you some fun facts about salmon that mm-hmm. are a better reason to change your name to salmon. <laughs> okay. So now you are all salmon fans, yeah. right? Moral of the story, don't change your name for free sushi. No, don't it's not worth it. Don't endangered salmon and don't waste rice. Yes. Right. If you're going to change your name to salmon, do it in honor of the Formosan landlocked there salmon. Okay. So you call yourself that's that's at least five new characters for now so literally that's the cherry blossom and then hook hook kiss salmon (laughs) Chinese is fun Chinese is fun Chinese is interesting okay well do write to us okay if you find this episode really interesting and you learn a lot more about salmon it's P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan email us at androo at rti.org.tw and next Saturday on the feast Mm -hmm. we are going to be doing something super fun we are going to have a whole show which is dedicated to mochi for the gods. Mochi. Ooh, wow. Mochi. The sticky mochi. Okay. That's right. We're Just like me. Mm-hmm. Sticky, sticky, sticky. <laughs> but before we go, of course, we have another song relating not to guiyu but fish. Okay. So it's called Kong Yu Rainbow Fish. That's right. And this is by Jean Po, who is actually a Malaysian singer. Oh, it's yeah. Fu Jian Ying. For Vsun Sauce, I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. And I'm Reese Ayers. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.